Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Threecast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Vince. We are the duo tonight. The your second favorite dynamic duo, Vince and Brian, and uh, we are here to talk about the DC Comics released on May twenty fifth, twenty twenty one. Of course, we have to go in alphabetical order per the request of a certain podcast host. So we're going to start with Action Comics ten thirty one, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, illustrated by Daniel Sampier. Um, I know that we have been on this show negative towards, well, rather more negative towards the Superman comics than the action comics, uh, the Superman title rather than the action comics title in terms of Johnson's Superman work. And I think that that continues here. I think this is a pretty good story. There were some elements of this I really liked. I like the slow build towards the war world stuff and, and typically... I am not one for dragging out a story like this because if the point of it is to get to War World, I want us to get to War World. But I think that there's some really good stuff in this issue. I like the stuff with the Atlanteans quite a bit. Um, I thought that the, it was nice seeing Kara and John and Lois interact for once. This, this feels like a pretty solid Superman and Superman family story, whereas I feel like the story happening in Superman does not feel as coherent or as um, good, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Uh, what did you think of this issue, Vincey? Yeah, I, I like this a lot. I wish um, I wish this is kind of where we would have been from Jump Street, I think, uh, with these books. Um, the, the, the War World stuff is really interesting. I think the um, this mysterious maybe Kryptonian, but probably not, um, uh, a race of refugees, um, that, you know, there's still kind of a mystery to us, what, whether they're even from this universe or time or whether they're just like, whether they have, whether they're like Kryptonian curious, if they're not like, uh, <laughs> uh, actual Kryptonians, you know what I mean? Cause yeah. like, you know that there's they speak de- the dead language they uh you know have some of the sim- symbolism um in their tribe or whatever you want to call it um that mystery is really interesting to me it's infinitely more interesting than the whatever the 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 aliens in the superman book right now i can't remember uh, it's on the tip of my tongue what their what their planet is called or whatever, but I I, I couldn't could not care less about what's going on with them, you know. By contrast, right. So I think what he's got cooking over here in this book is infinitely more interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think that one of the things that he has going for him here is that so many times when writers at DC try to create new alien races. Or try to bring back a uh, you know, a long forgotten alien race. There is this imp- there is this impulse to over explain every little bit of the of the alien culture, or to just give us more information than is needed. Because I guess that's just that's what writers think they have to do. But I feel like here, the less information, the better both because it's a mystery, but also because the point of these aliens is not their culture. It's why they are here. Like, that's one of my big pet peeves is when you see, like, you know, 
an alien ship crash lands on Earth, and then the aliens spend 20 minutes giving like this 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 history lesson that has nothing to do with the comic you're reading. All the all the exposition we've gotten about these people has all been directly related to what we're reading on the page, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, for sure. I think yeah. I think that's exactly it because I think the criticism that I, I talked about with the other book is um, that you know Philip Kennedy Johnson his thing is kind of like um, creating uh, new fantasy fiction races and countries and histories etc whatever you want to say lore right mm-hmm. and and I think he I think he's good at it um, there's certainly examples in the past where he's been successful at it it's just that. When I come to a DC comic, I get, as a reader, this is my taste, I get so much more out of a a writer co-opting or remixing or using elements that already exist, you know? Yes. Um, And I feel like, you know, there's more of that here in Action Comics. There's more of a, a potential for things that already exist to maybe have a new spin on them the stuff about the the Kryptonian uh, refugees saying like the Kryptonian prayer to the scientist or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that the, this was a refugee ship that had escaped and it was being powered by a piece of the source wall or the Love source. That. Love that. Yeah. I saw that and I was like, Oh, that's great. That, that is awesome. This stuff in the Superman book. And I hate to keep going back to it cause that's, it, you know, the spotlight should be on action, which is really good. This was a really good comic, but just to contrast it, like over in that book, as far as I can tell, cause I, I, I know I've searched this and I, I didn't find anything. Thacromites, that's their name, by the way. Um, I don't think, I, I don't think any of that ex- preexisted. And so it's like you say, Brian, like all of this stuff apparently needs to be explained to us in, in this detail that just like, slides right off my smooth brain (laughs) yes Um, i just i just like it didn't connect with me at all and as a consequence i didn't absorb any of the the new lore or why i should care about it whereas this already not only is philip kennedy johnson doing a good job using this stuff but it's stuff that you know in some ways we are already familiar with as dc comics readers and i think that's when you're writing big two comics, if you can do that, if you can pull that off, like it, it creates a better comic within this world. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think one of the craziest things about these two books right now is that they're written by the same person because they really don't feel that way. They really feel like these are, are books that are written by separate writers. And I wonder how much of that is just that Johnson knows that he has I mean I'm making this up let's call it a year to tell this story right um whereas with Superman it seemed like he knew from the jump like all right you're gonna be doing this book for uh, until we get until we relaunch as the Kal-El son of or or John uh what is it um Kal-El it's the son of Kal-El. It's Superman's son of Kal-El. Son of Kal-El. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, until we get that story. And so I feel like this is probably, action is probably Johnson doing more or less what he wants, 
an overarching story he wants to do, whereas Superman is sort of a fill-in story for him. And so that is that appears to be the difference here. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah. I mean, again, I have no knowledge of that. That's just That just seems to be what the situation is here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what do I know? Any other action notes before we move on to the backup? Um, the art was pretty nice. Like, I think Sam Pierre, you know, um, he's been an artist that I've felt was uh, just fairly decent, like kind of maybe C tier DC artists that they, that they use sort of for fill-ins here and there. But I think like, I think on this book, Sam Pierre is, is comporting himself pretty well. Um, I, I think uh, I think his uh, Superman in particular is pretty strong. He's pretty striking. Um, and I think he's doing a good job. It's a glow up. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I think that there's been a couple of people over the last couple of years that we've sort of said the same thing about, mm-hmm. whether it was um, Rafa Sandoval recently sort of did a similar thing with his um, Titans Academy stuff, which we'll talk about in a little while. Um but also, uh, there's somebody else too, who recently we were talking about this with, and I forget who it is now. Yeah, um, um, that was not Aqu- helpful. On Aquaman. Um, oh yes. Um, oh damn it! Who was it? This this is this is really good radio right here. Um, <laughs> but yes, it, I, again, it's on the tip of it my. It wasn't Sam Pierre, was it? I kind of feel like it no, was no, Sam no, 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 no. It was. Um, um, Oh, Jesus. Keep, keep t- stall for time. I'll, 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 yeah. Robson, Robson Roca. <laughs> Every time you say stall for time, I go to speak and then you come up with the answer. So <laughs> it's a good yeah, it bit we have thing, going. It speeds things up, yeah. Mm-hmm. Robson Roca, yes, absolutely. Um, and it just shows you that maybe, maybe DC should be giving these guys more regular work early. And I think some of the issues we have with these type of writers and artists in general, just the, the sort of the fill-in class of DC folks, is that oftentimes once they get a chance to not be fill-ins anymore, we say things like, oh, wow, they, they, they're doing really good work. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it just It makes shows me wonder you- how late in the game they're called, like when, yes. when it's time to fill in. It's like, oh, shit, we need you to do this in – like two weeks, can you can you pull it off? <laughs> right. I don't know if the, I don't know if that's how it works at all. It just. But even if even if they're given like you know more reasonable notice, you see like, do you follow Doc Shaner on on Farmers Only? Um, no, I don't think he's on there. Okay, Doc Shaner's Instagram, I think it's his Instagram. He will you'll know what project he's going to work on soon because he'll do like. 20 posts of just character design and the work that he's doing as a as an artist to get ready to take on a book like he puts a ton of work into it and you figure even if a fill-in artist is given hey heads up next week when you just start working on this book you have a month to get it done they're not going to have the time to really do all the legwork that an ongoing artist probably gets to do before they take over a book so sure. even if they're doing the best work they can do, they're just not being set up for success. Right. Um, but yeah, no, this makes, is a good makes issue. Makes sense. 
Uh, let's look over to the Midnighter Backup, which is written by Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad and illustrated by Michael Avon Oming. Um, I, I I think that this is essentially more of the same. I enjoy this. I, I think that we've all sort of lamented the loss of Gleb Melnikov from the first of these backups, but I I think that that Oming is doing good work here. I think that his Midnighter is a little bit more playful than I thought we'd ever see a Midnighter comic be in like in a DC comic. Um, I, I'm enjoying this, but there's really nothing new in this in this chapter. Yeah, this is not for me. I don't think I, it's just um, it's moving at too slow of a pace for me. I think. Um, I was enraptured by the Midnighter backup that was, you know, the, the, as you alluded to, was a little more action heavy. I even think back to the, um, Steve Orlando and ACO, Mm -hmm. uh, Midnighter book. And that was so action packed. Um, and that's, that's what I want from Midnighter and this isn't really giving it to me. So, um. I'm I'm finding this one really hard to to care about or get through. Um I wonder what the end game for this is in terms of do we think this is going to be a like a story that's going to see integration into the Superman and the Authority book? It seems like that's where this is going. But, yeah. I, but but I wonder how much of that is going to be um, necessary, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Like, you know, are you going to miss out on anything when you pick up that first issue if you haven't read this? My guess is probably not. But. Right. Knows? Yeah. I don't know. I just, This one's just not doing it for me. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, moving on to a book that I, I think is doing something for you, at least it was as of the last two issues, Batman Superman. Issue 18 is written by Gene Lu and Yang, illustrated by Ivan Reyes. One of the things that I think is really interesting about this issue in particular is that this is the issue that is maybe the least uh, surprising in any way. Uh, nothing really happens here that you're shocked by and there's there's less of the gimmick like that first issue was so gimmicky and i mean that in a great way like you know the, the reading two comics at the same time back and forth whatever this feels the least gimmicky but i also felt like this did the most heavy lifting in terms of story that we've seen so far in this so even though this might be the least exciting from a structural standpoint, I thought this was actually a really, really enjoyable issue. Um, what did you think of this? Uh, yeah, I continue to like this. I mean, I think I said this about the the second issue of this that we, that we reviewed, but like the um, the the trick of it or whatever is kind of over, kind of worn off, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think the storytelling is still really strong, as you would expect from Jean Lu and Yang. Um, and the the little the little bits of lore that he's quite literally remixing throughout this, um, that stuff all remains uh, very fun. Um, 
I think the way that he plays with the, the expectations of the Batman, Bruce Wayne origin stuff and kind of flips that on its head is entertaining. The Lex Luthor stuff is very fun. Although, although my one criticism is that I kind of wish there were... So these are supposed to be characters who are from different uh, worlds and... You know the, the the Superman and Batman ones are supposed to harken back to the 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 original film serials or whatever. Um, I kind of wish there was a little more visual playfulness as far as like in this in this issue they introduce a like a like a third Luthar like a Luthar from a a, a dimension that's not one of these two right. Mm-hmm. And I almost wish there was like a more of a visual variety between the the Luthers, because um, you know, like like if they made this one look a little bit like uh, Jesse Eisenberg, say, or maybe had him look like uh, Gene Hackman, right, or something, right, you know, right? It, it, that would have been. It's it's missing a little bit of the visual playfulness. Um, that 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 would really take it over the top, I think, um, but. I just get a kick out of every time like a, a new character pops up or something and Robin is like confused about <laughs> like yes. what what universe they're from or whatever. Like you that's dumb, dumb bastard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also like that my favorite thing about this, which is kind of revealed in this issue, is that the Arturio, um villain, the like robotic director that's that's smashing these film reels together and kind of creating this is a they discover that it's LexCorp technology and it's basically meant to emulate like human creativity and automate it so basically what it amounts to is it's it's like those YouTube videos where uh, Spider-Man beheads Elsa from Frozen and then you know it's it's just like completely automated generated it's got like bizarre music it's strangely violent and not meant for kids even though it uses like uh you know assets from these (laughs) children's properties um i i love that 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 yang made that the villain of this because it's it's in a way and it's not too overt but it's kind of social commentary that is pretty welcome when it comes from uh you know these comic book creators who are who are already using you know b- big big budget big uh, company properties like this. Right. Um, the one thing I do want to add for this is I, I think you're right about the the lack of playfulness in some of the character designs, but I also want to say what's been it was fun seeing Chicken Chip Bruce Wayne in this issue. <laughs> you know, and I wish that we got like it seems like every Luthor is the same across the multiverse, essentially. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I wish that there was some diversity in that, and I wish, and maybe we'll get it next time. I wish that there was sort of a diversity in the Supermen as well. You yeah. Know, I, and look, this is not me saying we need like Nazi Superman because I'm sick of evil Supermen, but just you know, just a little bit of a difference there. Like, it feels like Gang is way more comfortable messing around with the the bat character archetypes than the other archetypes so i i wish he would he would diversify that a little bit too mm-hmm. but overall this is a lot of fun i i am truly curious how much longer <laughs> 
how much longer DC is going to let its Batman Superman title be this weird? Yeah. This has to be the weirdest ongoing with Batman in the title in a very long time. Yeah, I think so. At least definitely, you know, that takes place within continuity. Yes, um, yes, certainly. Um, well, you did say ongoing, so yeah. But yes, um, point taken. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Um, and I honestly, I think that that's why Ivan Reyes is on this book, you know, <laughs> to give it the to give it the more contention, conventional look. Um, even if it's not what we would maybe prefer, I, I think it does probably put more asses in the seats than maybe another artist might. Right. So that's a fair point. All right. Up next is detective comics, 1036 written by Mariko Tamaki, illustrated by Dan Mora. Vincey, I've done a lot of the talking so far. What'd you think of this issue? Um, I, I, I like it. God, what did I say when when Walt when Walt was on the show and we talked about this? Like, I, I definitely like this book, but there's something about it that's still like, ah, uh, it's it's like keeping me at arm's length. It's like, it's it's very good, and and I think the 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 weaving of the mystery is really interesting. But it's another book that's that's almost too slow for me now. Now I I I'm to the point. Cocaine with, Vince. Yeah, yes, I am. No, I just when um Infinite Frontier started, I was so excited by how fast-paced everything seemed and you know, we talked about this on previous episodes, but like every every issue felt very meaty, like a lot of stuff was happening and it took a while to read them and um you know, possibilities were endless or whatever. And I feel like a lot of these books, including Detective, but uh, but also other ones that we'll be talking about today, have really slowed down in a way that that harkens back more to the pre-Infinite Frontier sort of pacing of things. And I guess, I don't know, like, I like this, but I guess it were moving at a faster pace. I guess that's, I guess that's what I wish were happening. Um... But it's, what I'll it's say funny, is, it's, it's funny you say that because I I would think based on our prior conversations that you prefer it when a book moves at a medium pace. <laughs> uh, something about a shampoo bottle. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I can't resist an Adam Sandler first or second record <laughs> reference. You know that. Yeah, you know yeah, that. It's uh, impossible. They're all gonna laugh at you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Do it for Mama. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Dip doodle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on our shit okay. <laughs> yeah um no there's a lot of elements of this that i really like though i love the inclusion of uh, lady clayface and the way that that was introduced yes you know the last time we talked about this i was a little disappointed in the reveal that like oh this sarah worth is alive but she's been zombified right well it turns out you know I know it's shocking that a comic gave you a, a last page reveal that didn't turn out to be the truth, but um, you know, it turns out it was actually Lady Clayface, kind of in a daze and in disguise as as this uh, woman who had been murdered. So that threw a little like wrench into the into the mystery, and and you know, it made it something more than I originally thought it was, which I appreciated. Um, and then Huntress showing up. Uh, 
that injects a lot of fun into this issue as well. And she's a badass too. Like I just great character design. Great. Like I feel like, like we said last week about Dick Grayson, I I feel like most writers really take to Huntress because she's such a cool character and, and such a well-defined character, definitely on a smaller scale than uh, Dick Grayson. But like, it is not hard to wrap your mind around who this character is, motivations, whatever. I, I feel like most writers do a really good job with it. And I think Tamaki does a, an excellent job with her in this too, in the backup as well. Um, which, the backup's really good too. Um, but so, yeah, I, I really like this. There's just, it's just like, I guess I just wish the pace were a little bit faster, but then maybe the mystery wouldn't be as, uh, intriguing or well considered. I don't, I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, well, so it's, it's interesting you say that because I think that I wanted this book to slow down because if this is, and this is probably counter to everything that, DC wants of its book. If you have a book called um, Detective Comics, I want there to be mystery and detective work. And like this issue has a lot of Bruce and Helena just like talking through their methods for trying to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I I eat that shit up. I, I like that stuff a lot. I think that's a really fun way to tell a Batman story. That said. I understand why you would think not not you being you Vince but why the reader would think that maybe this is going a little bit slowly but I think that the rest of the bat books are all moving at a very different pace than this one and I like the fact that this one is is doing something different than the other books are doing so I I'm actually I'm I'm totally fine with the slower pace uh for this for this issue, I mean, for this for this book rather, mm-hmm. um, but I, I do want to say I, I I like the Lady Clayface stuff here quite a bit. I like, as I mentioned before, the sort of detective work that's going on here. I did find one of the worst names in comics, which is uh, Neil <laughs> uh, Betterman. You can't uh, find a better man. I, I was gonna say he, he changed his name actually. He's he was born Neil Nothing Man, and uh, <laughs> changed it to Neil Betterman. That's a joke squarely for you. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And any other Pearl Gem stands out there who listen to the podcast. Um, a real deep cut is that, you know, the, 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 to complete the trilogy, Leatherman. Yeah, I was just going to say that. You know Leatherman? Yes, yes yeah. I do. Yes. Um, that, that, that's an East Coast, like, myth, the Leatherman. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So. He's a I'm, man of the land. Yes, he is. Uh, but, yeah, it's, um, I thought this was a fun issue. I. I really liked the backup, which is uh, by Tamaki and Clayton Henry. I think that one of the things that is good about Huntress is it's interesting that you said that writers sort of take to her because I think that while that's true, it's also very easy to make her into um, female Jason Todd of just like she's the violent one. She's she's the violent bird of prey, right? That. Mm just like Jason is the one who's most likely to to go rogue and, you know, kill somebody or beat the shit out of somebody and then has to get reprimanded by Batman or by one of the other Robins for being too harsh, that is basically what Helena's role oftentimes turns out to be in these books. 
And I'm glad that that's not the role here. I think that she is very exacting with her justice here, but it doesn't come off as being heavy-handed or um, or or necessarily like overly harsh. You know, it it feels it feels appropriate. I I really like with what what Tamaki is doing here with the Huntress, um, and also just you know, I I know that we don't have a uh, we do not have a Birds of Prey book yet. But it seems like everything is sort of setting up for that. You know, we, we, we see Babs back in the Oracle role. We see the, the Batgirls doing their thing. It was Steph and Cass. We see um, Huntress now emerging as a, as a character for the first time in a while. I wouldn't be surprised if we get a Birds of Prey series the end of this year or the start of next year. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're leading to that, but this is good stuff. I'm enjoying this. Um, let's jump over to Harley Quinn number three, written by Stephanie Phillips, illustrated by Riley Rosmo. I don't have a lot to say about this issue. I think that this run continues to be my favorite Harley Quinn run of the last, gosh, very long time. I, I think it's still very good. This this issue, kind of how I felt about um, the Midnighter back up in action, like, I don't think that this necessarily told you anything new about these characters. I think this gave you another week of, another month, rather, of seeing sort of what Rosmo, how Rosmo is going to be using Harley Quinn and the other, uh, and, and Kevin, among others. Like, it, you get a sense of of what the book's going to be, but I don't think you necessarily got plot progressed too much or anything like that you do get more excellent riley rosmo art so i'm here for that i love what rosmo is doing on this book i think rosmo's work over the last couple of years has somehow gotten even looser and even weirder than it was before and i mean both of those things in a really complimentary way i Mm -hmm. think his books when he when when i first became aware of his work in like 2011 or 2012 I thought his work was really interesting, but it still kind of fit in more with what I felt like, quote, regular comic booking was. Whereas I feel like now there is quite literally nobody who is drawing comics like Riley Rosmo. And I really appreciate that. What did you think of this issue? Yeah, I, I continue to like it a lot. Um, I love this take on Harley's character. It's so perfectly balanced, you know. It contains all the elements of her character without um, hammering too hard on any one of them. Uh, And I think that's key when you're writing a character like this because we've said on the show so many times before, it's so easy for a character like this, and it's happened to her so many times before, for her to wear out her welcome, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Just by being too much, too annoying, whatever. You know, this is like the perfect balance of everything. You know, there's, there's humor... There's uh, drama, there's uh, action, there's a connection to um, the bat stuff, uh, the other bat stuff. You know, it's, 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 it's the perfect mix of all this stuff. The one thing I will say, it's the same criticism I had about Detective Comics, which is, you know, maybe more to my taste than anything. But now I feel like this book is, again, moving at too slow of a pace for me. Um I kind of this this is supposed to be a 
another arc, right? This is this is part one of a, of a new story arc. But really, it's the same arc since issue one. So it's kind of stealthfully crafting like a decompressed uh, trade paperback six-issue thing here, probably. Disguising it as a couple of little arcs, you know? Yes. I don't... Which I had is the fine. same. I you had know. the same note here. Like, how is this the start of a new story? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I would kill for a bunch of little two, two, three issue arcs on all these books, uh, and I, I thought that's what I was getting on some of these. And if they're going to be like tricking me in this way, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. But no, it's it's fine. That's just a personal taste thing. Uh, I've talked about it to death on the show, um, but no, I really like this. I think it's a you said everything about uh, Rosmo that, you know, way better than I could. But the one thing that, that you didn't say specifically that I, I'll just mention is that I love how you're right. It's so loose, but that's not to say that it's not detailed. So like, it's just that the details are very loose, if that makes sense. Yes. So like, there's a lot of artists who, when they like, when they get loose and they skimp on details due to, due to time or whatever, you know, whatever you want to say, whether it's stylistic choices or not, whatever. Um, Rosmo never drops the backgrounds out just to like cut corners. Never. The backgrounds are always full of stuff. I'm looking at this page right now that has um, Hugo Strange and his assistant. And there's a bunch of like caged test subjects in these like floating boxes around him. Uh, Like these suspended like, Mm-hmm. prison cells almost and none of them are very detailed you know none of these people in the in the boxes are detailed they're they're intent the detail is intentionally dropped because it's in the background but rosmo still fills the page with that stuff you right. know and it's it's still very weird it's it's also not like rosmo's dialing it back at all you know it's everything in the background is very weird and detailed just like all of Rosmo's art is, you know. Yes, I I want to clarify one thing. When I was saying loose, I did not necessarily mean that there was less on the page or that. Oh no, that's just a. But that's a thing that happens. You sure. Know? Yeah, yes, it is. Yes. When, when I was talking about loose, like there, there's one page in particular. I'm not gonna be able to find it offhand because I didn't make a note of it. But where there is a, it's it's an action sequence. I want to say it's it's like when the you know the, the the crew breaks up the support meeting where the way the page is structured it's just it, it's it's not clear like sometimes you read a comic and it's very clear where your eye is supposed to go next and i mean that in a good way it's it's well laid out and usually when something is laid out in a way where you don't exactly where there's not as clear of a path that's usually a negative in a comic but this scene is chaotic, and Rosmo does this job of drawing the chaos in a way that allows the reader to feel the chaos of the of the situation, but not that it's so chaotic that you don't exactly that you can't follow it. Like it's yeah. just it's 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 just laid out really interestingly, and I think that he's doing a lot of things. Like there's there's another page here, and I'm looking at it right now. It's page. Uh, let's see. I want to say 16 in our in our PDF here and there's a shot of Harley that is like not not to use a Wayne's world term but like an extreme close up on her 
And I feel like it doesn't necessarily feel like that's where you would expect the artwork to go, but it's a really effective little close-up. And the close-up is, again, it's it's loose, but it's not without detail. He's just doing such good work here. He's just he's one of the most dynamic storytellers in comics at the moment. And like I said before, no one is doing, no one is drawing comics like Riley Rossmo right now. And that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. All right, well, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to get to four books that I think we're going to have maybe a little bit more to say about in these first four. So uh, stay tuned. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with Mr. Miracle, Source of Freedom number one, written by Brandon Easton, illustrated by Fico Osio. Go off, Vincey. What do you think of this issue? I like this a lot. Um, I think... I think it's it's. I liked the uh, backups during Future State well enough. Um, written written by the same writer, yes. I believe so. Yeah, not the same artist. No. Um, I liked those backups well enough, but they were very slight, and it was just it was just like a nice uh, limited hangout with the character, um, more than anything else. This is way meatier than I thought it would be thematically you know like like easton gets into some really deep stuff here yes um yeah some really really like serious stuff about identity and like blackness in superheroes you know and um handles it all really well i think too like like um nothing is uh Nothing is over the top or preachy. Not that I necessarily care whether it is or not, but but like, you know, it's it's it it, it handles it so well through the dialogue. I think um, the dialogue is really breezy and 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 easy to read, while tackling some pretty meaty subjects and telling an entertaining superhero story at the same time. Um, there, there's a lot in there about like what being a celebrity superhero is like as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some fun stuff done with that. And I think, yeah, it's just, this is a, a really meaty first issue where it feels like a lot is going on. Um, and it, it, it took a long time to read and there are a lot of words, but, but not in a bad way. It's just, it's got a lot to say and it, and it wants to say it. And, um, it, it seems very vital in that way. Uh, it's not throwing a bunch of words on the page for exposition purposes, you know? Mm-hmm. It just has a lot It has a lot to say, and it says it really well, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. I, one of my notes that I had here was that um, 
this book in lesser hands could have felt heavy handed at times, mm-hmm. but that I think that Easton does a nice job of of both putting like putting like you said putting things into the dialogue and eliminating some of the maybe unnecessary exposition that a lesser writer would have done here but i think also by making like so we you know we you and i have read a fair amount of shallow norman stuff recently because we just did the seven soldiers read uh-huh. not even 6 months ago probably um man feels like a lifetime it does <laughs> uh but I, I think it was less than 6 months or it was it was certainly it was, whatever. It wasn't long ago. My point is this: I feel like this is a different take on Shiloh Norman than we've seen recently. That this leans more into the celebrity stuff, but it doesn't feel out of place with that character. And that's one of my favorite things that that is possible in in comics that that go on and on and on in different ways. Is that you can find ways to introduce new elements without making it so that you're throwing away the baby with the bathwater like this feels like a like a a realistic outgrowth of the past Shiloh Norman stuff but it still feels pretty new and exciting so that's good uh I have not been the world's biggest Fico Osseo fan in the past not that I think that they're bad artists by any means but just it hasn't really been for me and I thought that this more or less worked what did you think of Osseo's art I I liked it a lot. Um, I think there's some pages in particular that are that are gorgeous to look at. Um, if yeah, if the whole comic uh, didn't blow me away artistically, there are some singular pages that I thought looked great. The stuff with the drop from space where he's doing the the escape in the very beginning. Yes, that was fantastic. I, I think that looks great. Yeah, all the way up to where it like shows him sitting in the in the mess of chains in the chair mm-hmm. and uh, drinking a, a soda or whatever he's drinking. They don't drink. They don't have soda at, in DC Comics enough anymore. I um, agree. Do you remember so, what the? You ask me this every fucking. And time. do you remember what it is? What what the Pepsi equivalent is? <sighs> no, but as soon, as soon as you say it, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. Oh yeah, it's um, zesty. Yeah, that's right. Yep. <laughs> just, just fucking remember it, and the next time you won't have to yeah. put me through this. No, well, you'll ask, you'll ask me anyway, which is the annoying part. It's not. No, it's it's our <laughs> playful banter. Our listeners come here for. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah. No, I uh, thought that the, the action. Duff beer. <laughs> what is the beer that they drink in the hillbilly bar that Homer goes to with Lurline? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> nah, I don't know. Fud. <laughs> That's great. That's really funny. See, I, I yeah. am I am apparently a font of useless beverage information from I guess, fictional yeah. properties. Uh, what I was going to say is, I think the action that Osseo does here is very good. I really enjoyed a lot of the um the action sequences. I felt that the stuff where like I didn't love necessarily when he's on the talk show and some of the interactions with uh, his manager, I feel like Osseo can just get a little bit lumpy in points with his, with his facial work in particular. And um, there's some inconsistency and, and, you know, I, again, I, I don't need photo realism, but I just feel like from panel to panel, sometimes his Shiloh does not necessarily carry over. Um, but once, if it's an action sequence, I think he's doing 
really, really good work. Um, we didn't talk about the last page reveal yet, which is that Shiloh is going up against the child of Scott Free and Barda, uh, Navir Free, Never Free. I don't know exactly. How, I, I know. I know it's a Never Free, like joke or reference, but I don't know how we're supposed to pronounce that name. Uh huh. Um, do we do we suspect that's the baby born in the Tom King Mister Miracle book? Um. I don't care. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm just curious. Because yeah. we haven't, I feel like that stuff never gets referenced, never mm-hmm. outside of the mm-hmm. Tom King stuff. So I'd be surprised if it was. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm trying to think. Uh, now, this would this would be out of continuity as well, but uh, Tom Taylor had them in um, Deceased, I believe, and I think they had – Jack, their baby in that, um, or Jake, Jakey, Jack, Jack King, Kirby. Um, but have they had it in continuity for sure? I'm not sure. Um, also, weren't they having a weren't they having another child as well? Um, wasn't there a? I could be wrong about that. That that could be. I just can't remember. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Anyway, maybe it is. Maybe this is like the because all these things are potentially um, making their way toward the future state status quo, and so maybe like if this is in the future, this is a uh, Jack Free or whatever. Um, I could see that. Um, but yeah, it doesn't seem like it at this point. It doesn't really matter. I was just I, I was just curious, yeah. but I, I I do think it's it's interesting and potentially clever to have to have the um like you know it's how can I say this? Oftentimes, when there's a character like this who is the lesser known of the characters to wear this name and costume. People think like, well, where is Scott Free? Where is the character that I'm aware of? I, I don't know who this character is. So to bring some sort of Scott Free bit into the book, I think is very smart. It's the it's the Swamp Thing thing too. Um the Rom V Yes. Swamp Thing bringing in Alec Holland, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I don't I think it's interesting. I don't dislike it. One thing this is not about this book in particular, but one thing I wanted to mention is um it's interesting how I think there's a future Batman arc or something that just got teased in the solicitations or something about um it's Batman or it's some book talking specifically about how you know, they catch wind of future state and they're trying to prevent it from happening. Mhm. Um, and I think that that it's going to be interesting to see where DC goes with that because a lot of people have um, been complaining or criticizing that oh we're just this is Infinite Frontier is just going to end up in Future State and I didn't really like Future State or I didn't like that status quo so I don't want to go back there you know and it just feels like an inevitable conclusion but I think something we've posited on the show before and I think is 
looking like it might be the case is the story is going to be more about avoiding future state than it is about everybody ending up there, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that there's going to be pieces of future state that are going to continue to show up or or, or echoes of it or what do you call a pre-echo, right? Like, uh, but hints of that status quo. But I don't think we're ever going to really get there. I think it sort yeah. of defeats the purpose if we're going to get there. Yeah, I agree. I, I think people are misreading that. I hope they are anyway, because it's more. It's it, it would be infinitely more interesting to have seen what Future State is, and then to like show all the books line up and just miss it, you know? Yes. Or or work their way out of it. Um, anyway, just an aside I had because it came up during this talk. Yeah. No, I, I think that's fair, and I also think we're gonna be seeing. We're going to be seeing hints of Future State for a while. It would seem to me very, very silly to have Future State happen in January and February, and by October we're in Future State. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, it just seems like that's not likely for a couple of reasons. Right. All right. Well, let's move on to Robin number two, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Gleb Melnikoff. If you recall, dear listener, last time we read this book it ends with robin getting his heart ripped out of his chest and we didn't know how that was going to play out uh we should have seen the fact that it was lazarus island coming <laughs> into play here um but i do they like they even say that they even say that in the issue like that wasn't a dead giveaway or whatever yeah <laughs> um but you know the uh we do sort of see the rules of this tournament and this island now which is that you can die twice, but when you die a third time, you're really dead. And so Damien is starting at a disadvantage in this tournament. Um, I I think that this is such a fun book, and it's a fun book that takes place on an island <laughs> with a tournament of death happening. Like it's it's a really it's a really different and interesting approach to this type of a story. I think that Gleb Melnikov's art is just so playful and so fun. And I really, really enjoyed the last page of this issue, yeah. which which is Ravager basically saying to, to Damien, like, I have to train you to have fun, <laughs> which yeah. is just just delightful and silly and good. She's she's going to play the uh, happy, happy, joy, joy song by Stinky Whizzleteats <laughs> for, for him. I'll teach, I'll teach you to suck, suck, <laughs> your grandmother to suck eggs. There we go. <laughs> I'll teach you to be happy. Uh, uh, the little critters of nature. They don't know if they're ugly. <laughs> That's very funny. A fly marrying a bumblebee. bumblebee. <laughs> I told them they sure they wouldn't believe me. Why didn't they believe me? Uh, <laughs> that was a fucking dark show for kids to watch. Yeah. And, and, Dark stuff happening behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. 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 John K. Ooh. He's he's canceled. K for canceled. Yeah, I was gonna say cancel with the K. There we go. Mm -hmm. Um Yep. Um anyway, good book. Very good book. Um Melnikoff's art is just so much fun. It's just brimming with life and energy and um, it's so stylish and 
<laughs> the it, playful, you know, there's the scene where like, uh, Damien like learns the rules of the game and, and that, you know, like you can, you can kill without consequence a couple times. And so he like, uh, he beats like four or five people up and then he lands and he does the, the, uh, I'm I'm watching you, Fokker. I've got my eyes on you, Fokker, or whatever that is from Meet the Parents. And he he, he points at uh, what's her name, and she just winks back at it, flatline. Mm-hmm. And she winks back at him, and that's just that's just so fun. That's so like, man. I, Did we know I, that flatline was Lord Deathman's sidekick? I don't believe so, but that's a great detail as it well. Is. It um, is. That's that's excellent. Um. I think in in years past, not not so long ago, I could have imagined a book like this where there's like a a, a tournament to the death, um, and Damien being in it and it just being terribly self serious, you know. Yes. And this is not that at all. Um, and I just think like I, I I'm. It, it speaks to like how happy I am in general with DC at this point because I think like um, they get a bad rap for a lot of things and and many of them rightfully so but I think they've they've Our really next have... item we'll talk about some of those bad things yeah right yes but they really have come a long way as far as like being self serious being too dark like you can you can do a book where there's fights to the death. But it's not grim, dark at all, you know. Um, not to say that they don't publish books like that still, but I think like more often than not, uh, there's a wink and a nod these days, and it's fun. It's fun above all else, and um, this book is certainly has that in spades. Yeah, I, I also want to want to double back on this. How can I say this? There's been this 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 movement within Infinite Frontier to remind us of the larger DC universe without beating us over the head with so many details of that. Like the fact that we are now three issues into, you know, if you count the backups that led up to this series, that we've seen Connor Hawk now three different times, and no one's been like. You remember Connor Hawk, the bastard son of Oliver Queen, who for many years was the Green Arrow himself. Like, there's none of that. There's just this little hint given. You know, Lord Deathman is mentioned one time in this issue, and in the past there would have been like a, I don't know who Lord Deathman is. Tell me who that is, or at least like some just some some boring exposition there. There's enough of a mention of this stuff that if you wanted to dig in. You have the internet at your fingertips, presumably. You can dig into this stuff. But it's not it, it's not just thrown in your face. It's it, it's it's letting you just let this stuff wash over you. And that's really good. Mm-hmm. It feels like a very full universe right now. Yes. And that's great. I love that. Agreed. Um all right, well let's let's move on to the Stargirl Spring Break special. By Jeff Johns and Todd Nwok. Uh Knock. Knock. Knock, I believe. Knock. Knock, knock. Uh, that was not a knock, knock joke, 
That was a uh, Indigo Lanterns joke. Yeah, yeah. There we go. So I I I, I want to talk about two different bits of this that have that have almost nothing to do with the story, but I want to talk about the story to begin with here. First of all, this this feels as somebody who has who has been reading through the JSA stuff over the last year or so, this feels incredibly like a Stars and Stripes story, partly because this is the creative team that handled the second half of the Stars and Stripes book, but it it really feels like 20 years have not passed since Stars and Stripes and this it is an amazingly accurate feeling piece of that story which i which i mean in a positive way um the thing i wanted to talk about was there's a really good explanation given here for how these characters could have existed like how green arrow could have existed in the golden age mm-hmm. where he's like thrown back in time do we know is that something that's been this that's never been discussed before right that's new for this i yeah i haven't if it has i don't remember it i haven't seen it because this this sort of like one of the things that i liked about this was it gives a real it allows you to have a modern day green arrow and the Golden Age Green Arrow be the same guy here in a way that makes sense. Where somebody is like, I fully expected when Courtney asked that question for someone to be like, hypertime, blah, crises. Yeah. But it's not. It's like, no, here is exactly what happened. This guy was thrown back in time, and then these other characters were thrown forward in time. And that's why, you know, everyone is approximately the same age, even though they've been around since the 40s. And I wonder if that is going to be part of DC's I I don't want to say that this is anti-hyper time but I feel like so much of the explanation for this stuff has tended to be stuff that can't really be told in a story it's more as an information dump there is this thing called hyper time it fucks with how continuity is figured out there's an omniverse all those sorts of things it's very hard to do those things in a story in a way where it doesn't feel like it's just waving your hands in front of the screen to make sure that everyone knows that this is just comic bookery at play here, right? I liked the elegance of this, but I also love the idea of hypertime and how all that fits in. So what did you think of that aspect of the story? I don't know, because on the on the one hand, yeah, it's a good idea. Um, it's a good, like, solution to that problem. On the other hand... Wasn't the solution to the problem already figured out? <laughs> like, yes. Like, and it was completely different from this, right? Um, wh- why does why does uh, that incongruity for Oliver Queen need to be solved in that way when it doesn't for anybody else? Yes. You know, um, yes. especially because later in this issue, we see the Golden Age, Green Lantern, and Flash still running around. <laughs> and it doesn't really tell you anything about why that is. Right. Which so first of all, I wanna I wanna make clear, none of this really bothers me. Of course. Like I can I can read a comic and not think about it. But you know, you you're asking the question, like, what do you think about this aspect? To be honest, like I can look past it easily enough, but if I had my druthers, they would all either go with the 
hypertime explanation, the, um, you know, sort of post doomsday clock kind of thing we all thought we were getting, or individually make up reasons why this would be the case for each character where the, the <laughs> incongruities don't really make sense. I don't understand why you're having both. Like in a world where hypertime exists, which it definitely does, because in like Infinite Frontier stuff, the the phrase hypertime has been used, you know? Yes. Then why do you need Courtney being like, well, how is this possible? You know? It's I... possible because hypertime exists. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it, the the answer is probably it exists because this story was started at some other point. And could it, could be, yeah, you know, it's coming out here. Um, right. So, you know, all all that said, like, I, I don't really care what they do, but it is it is maddening that especially have you seen the um, have you seen the rumors that that Heidi McDonald uh, of the beat and 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 you know uh, dirty old Uncle Rich uh, have been posting lately about how there's a crisis coming for next year and it very much and I'm I am laughing as I say this because isn't this what death metal the like isn't this what the fallout of death metal was supposed to accomplish uh, I feel like that's just the game that DC, they've just got us on the end of the string, right? There's like a dollar bill attached to fishing line and we're, but supposedly this, it's going to be a crisis. They're going to use the name crisis. We've heard that before. Um, and it's going to lay out hypertime specifically and how it works. There and is exactly the... one way I like that. And that uh -huh. is if Mark Wade is involved. Yeah, maybe. As the inventor yeah. of hypertime. Right. I would I would appreciate Mark Wade's involvement here. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm hey, it might not even be true, but but anyway, like yeah, like I can look past stuff like this easy enough. No big deal, but you know, they've got a hypertime event coming maybe that hopefully will elegantly explain all of this in a way that we can all just say, "Good, we never have to care again about we never need exposition in a in a one shot explaining how this could be possible um because it's all possible right um but anyway that's that's a whole lot about one little bit of this but but i think it's kind of an important bit oh, of yeah. this um i i i think that there is something to be said for i mean i the, the the easy answer here is that it appears and has appeared for some time now like Jeff Johns really isn't in the shit right now at DC, right? Like he is operating sort of in his own little corner of the DC universe. Yeah. And and so, you know, it doesn't surprise me that his book doesn't really line up with what the other books are doing right now. Um, but what did you think of this story overall? Um it was fun. You're you are not wrong when you say that it feels like it's from another time. Um, I think like it's classic Johns for, for good and bad, right? Um, it's, it's loaded with, uh, um, links to these classic characters, uh, the classic seven soldiers of victory, 
Um, I think it, I think it does that pretty well, but I'm not sure I want that very much anymore. I'm not sure I want, I'm not sure I want stories like this anymore that, 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 that go back and try to like reckon with something from the past. I don't know. I just, I kind of want, I, I want, I want everybody to be back. We've said that before, like coming out of death metal, I wanted this infinite frontier of possibilities where everybody's back and, and good again. But, um, I Um, I don't necessarily need these detailed stories that explain it all. And like, now it looks like we're getting a story where they're like, they're going back and rescuing wing from being dead or whatever. And I don't know. I don't know. I think I'm done with John's. (laughs) So, so this is, let me say a couple of things before I get into the John's bit. Um, First of all, this is very, very much playing off of a lot of stuff that's established in the Stargirl TV show. Like Shining Knight, this version of Shining Knight is is a supporting character on on that show. Seven Soldiers has been referenced by name on yeah. the Stargirl show. The teaser, the image- least interesting version of this character, <laughs> uh, the JSA tease we get at the end, which we'll talk about in a minute, features both the Yolanda Montez Wildcat, who died in the 90s, but, you know, again, Hypertime, etc., is back, and also a Dr. Midnight that seems to be essentially the character that John's created for the TV series included in that JSA lineup. So I think that a big part of this is somewhat connecting the Stargirl show to the Stargirl comic, which is something that DC has never really done effectively. Do you remember back, gosh, this must have been like 2013 or so, when they brought the character of Diggle from Arrow into into Jeff Lemire's Green Arrow run? It, yes, yep. And like it didn't go very well. It wasn't very well done. Very rarely has there been synergy coming from the TV shows into the comics for good reason. I, I don't think the comics should be influenced by the TV shows necessarily. It's it's better when that goes in the other direction. But regardless, so I think the part of this is that Stargirl was, was really good, actually. I mean, I, I am shocked how much I like the Stargirl show. Um, and, you know, I understand why DC feels like Stargirl's coming back in July. We should have a Stargirl comic. I agree with that. That is that is smart business sense. What I don't understand is why the Stargirl comic has to a deal with like going back and saving Wing. Like I mean, look, I am as much of a Golden Age Mark as you're gonna find. You and I, you and I are probably the two biggest Golden Age Marks I know. Do you give a shit about Wing? Um, I don't know Wing all that well. That's my point. Like it, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. It just seems like a very odd. It seems like it. It seems like this is. This is a weird way to stage this new series. I think there are so many. I mean, look. If you're gonna go back in time and save a character that died, and you want to bring Yolanda Montez back as Wildcat, 
why not just have her go back and save Yolanda Montez? Doesn't that make a thousand percent more sense? Yes. Yeah. It just it just seems like it's a very very weird choice, and I don't I don't particularly love that as the impetus for the Stargirl comic. Um, that said, I thought this issue was fun enough. I liked seeing uh, Amiko there um, as as the sidekick of Ollie. I, I think that the um, the relationship between Pat Dugan and Courtney is is really strong in the comics, and uh, I think it continues to be very very good here. I thought this was pretty good. I I just don't know if I don't know if there needs to be more Jeff Johns comics, and not just because Jeff Johns is shall we say, a problematic creator at DC right now based on the Justice League accusations by Ray Fisher. But just among, ge- among other accusations. Um, um, yes, among other accusations, yes. Allegedly. But that one is the Parody. one that... <laughs> that one is the one that seems perhaps the most investigated. So mm-hmm. I, I'm most comfortable talking about that one. Um, yeah, Just right, because right. I feel like there's, you know... The other ones are... are are anonymous and not that I don't believe anonymous people, but you know, just if, if we're talking the Ray Fisher stuff should be alone, should alone be enough for him not to work in comics anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, and yet he still is here. But you know, I, what's hard about this is that by all accounts, John's is not a good person or at least has done a lot of bad shit in his life that has, you know, that has damaged how I feel about him as a creator but I really do think he has a good sense for the, for the characters that he has worked with a long time. Like I think his JSA stuff is really good. I think his Stargirl stuff is really good. I think he has a good sense of these characters. The issue comes in, I don't think he has anything new to say about these characters. I think he right. just likes being in that sandbox still, and when we get him in that sandbox, it's, it's, it's enjoyable because he's good at it, but... I, I don't think there's anything new or interesting he has to say about these characters at all. Yeah, the exactly. The the teaser at the end where it's like, uh, you know, to be continued in Stargirl 1, that's like, okay, whatever. Um, John's, Stargirl is John's baby. That's fine. And then there's a follow-up, Justice Society past his prologue by Jeff Johns and Brian Hitch. Now, I don't think there's anything in there that specifically says right now that that a JSA book is going to be that team although calling it a prologue like I, that that it doesn't say continued in JSA number 1 right no it doesn't do you do you know anything for sure no no so i i had heard i had heard a while ago I want to say it was from the mouth of DiDio. Maybe. That's how long ago this was. That there was a team that had been selected or had pitched for a Justice Society book and that DC was holding off until that team was available together. Yeah. And I feel like Hitch has done enough work at DC 
and Johns has done not a lot of work at DC. So it seems to me like those like it seems like they could have made this happen earlier if that was the team. Right. Um, maybe it was. I don't know. Regardless, when I saw this page, this double page spread, I just thought like, you know, if we do get a Johns and Hitch book out of this, like, like you said, like it probably will technically be good. I, I don't know, but like, it's the most boring choice. I don't know that I need another Johns JSA run. You know, right? Um, I don't think. Like, John's return to uh, Captain Marvel, Shazam, had its moments, um, but the the returns were just not there, right? And those moments were also stretched out over the course of two years and never really finished. Yeah. You so, know. yeah, I don't... It's just, it's just not exciting to me. It's not exciting to me as, like, somebody who ha- hasn't already done their bit with these characters would be to me. Well, I think, and that's setting aside just like how I feel about Jeff Johns as a person these days. Right. Um, well, like, so looking at this team, I will say this is, this is a really fun modern age JSA team. Um, you know, like, uh, you, you have, you have the, the usual people there, right? You have, Alan Scott and Jay Garrick. You have Hawkman. You have Mister Terrific. You have Our Man. Presumably that's Rick Tyler. You have Power Girl. Rick Tyler. Rick Tyler. Um, you have Jakeem Thunder and the Thunderbolts. You have Star Girl. But then you get Maxine Hunkel, aka Cyclone, who is the granddaughter of the original Red Tornado. You have Adam Smasher back for the first time in a while. You have Jade and Obsidian. You have, this, like I said, the Yolanda Montez. Wildcat and the new Doctor Midnight, like that—that's actually a pretty. F- and it, it, there's a Doctor Fate in there that looks to maybe be a new Doctor Fate as well. Like all of that is well and good, and I want to read the stories of this team. I just want somebody whose point of this isn't going to be like, isn't this cool? Isn't this <laughs> isn't this reminiscent of what we did in the past? Um, and the the only other like very slight beef that I have with this is I just feel like. If this means that Ted Grant is dead or that Pieter Cross, uh, the old Dr. Midnight, is dead, I feel like those characters both had a, had a good run at DC. And I'm not saying those characters can't be shelved for a while, but I hope it's just not that like when this book picks up, those characters are just gone now. Yeah. Th- those are established. That would be like if all of a sudden there was just a new... Hawk girl, and it never said what happened to Kendra, right? Like, there's just there has to be. I hope there's a story there. Those characters deserve a story. Um, but yeah, th- this is a real monkey's paw situation for me. I, I really want a JSA book. I really like this team, but this creative team leaves me very cold. Mm-hmm. So, any other Star Girl Spring Break special thoughts? Ah, uh, that Fred Hembeck page is fun. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's a little Where's Waldo thing. Fine Stripes here, whatever it was called. Yeah. That's good. All right, that brings us to our final issue of the week, Teen Titans Academy number three, written by Tim Sheridan, illustrated by Rafa Sandoval. So as we talked about last time, uh, this is part of a crossover with Suicide Squad. 
I, I have mixed feelings about this. First of all, I still really like this book. I like the team both on and off the page of this book. I liked all the Red X stuff here. It seemed like they were leading us one place with him, but it was something really different. I liked the tease at the end with the Bat Pack. I liked all of that. What I don't understand is if you're going to do a crossover between these two books where the whole point is to kidnap one character and then you don't kidnap that character, what was the point of this crossover? Oh, yeah. Horribly pointless crossover. And really unneeded when you're trying to establish um, when you're trying to establish a lot of new characters in this Teen Titans book and give all the characters you already have and are involving in this book um, involvement in it. <laughs> you know? Um, like... Nothing in here was poorly written or, you know, I, I, I'm still excited about this book. It's, it says nothing about the quality of Teen Titans Academy as a series. But what am I doing looking at Peacemaker in this book? Right. Like, get, get, get him out of my Teen Titan. Get him. Why do I have to see Peacemaker every week now? <laughs> Because it's John Cena's world. We're just living in it. I know. Well, yeah. I, I shouldn't also, be able to see him. I was just going to say, we shouldn't That's even be joke. able to see him. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just don't. Yeah. This this book has some great alchemy going. And I feel like tossing the Suicide Squad into it um, threw a wrench in that. In, 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 like a, in, the, in a bad way. Uh, I, I feel like we're already... And I don't think this is necessarily the fault of, uh, you know, the writer, certainly not the artist, you know, um, like Tim Sheridan is still the the writer's voice in this issue is still very strong, whether the Suicide Squad is there or not. But man, does that seem like an early diversion for no reason with no real payoff? <sighs> I, I don't know. Everything else about this book, I, I'm head over heels for. It somewhat worries me in the sense that I, I, if you look back on like the New 52, as of issue like six or seven, you start seeing shit like Batman show up in iVampire. Yeah. You start to see people panicking about the lesser sell, the books that are selling less and so injecting some star power into it. This is the third fucking issue. This had to have been in production before the first issue was even released. There's no reason to be pulling that that star power move here. And also, the Suicide Squad is not the star power I think DC thinks it is. I don't know how many folks, especially because like if this is the movies I if this came, if this was the month after the movie and everybody has peacemaker fever, I get <laughs> I get that a little bit more, but it just seems like this is a really silly way to handle this. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't get it. It looked good. I think Sandoval's art is still really strong. I really enjoy... I enjoy seeing the dynamic of the different teams, how there's, you know, the the Wolfman Perez Titans are very much struggling with what it means to be the teachers and the leaders here. We also see the current like the most recent Teen Titans group not understand what their role is here. Mm -hmm. I like all of that. I even like I, Crush Part Curtain. of that part of that was almost like a commentary like 
I'm like, yeah, if we're doing the Suicide Squad crossover, like, why are all these characters in this book? Sorry, I stepped on you there. No, though. You're fine. talking about Crush quitting. I was going to say, like, I, I like her pointing out that she's not Lobo, mm-hmm. right? And, yep. and, and her quitting the team. That was a really nice move. You're right. Also. She's Lady Lobo. That's right, Exactly. Yeah. She's Loba. Um, <laughs> oh, I can make such a Mets-specific no, joke. No. I'm not going to do oh, it. Um, okay. Uh, leaving it alone, but the uh, yeah, the um, I I just think that there's a lot of good happening here, and I I, th- I think the way that it spun off Crush into the Crush and Lobo series, while certainly leaving room for Crush to come back to the team in the future, I think all of this is really well handled. It's just that you have this weird Suicide Squad uh interruption in the middle of it. And yeah, I'm, I'm just not really in. I'm not really here for that. Right. The stuff with the new kids is is great. Yes. Um and I love the the final page reveal uh that the the bat pack is going to be uh investigating Red X, but uh yeah, I love all those new characters. Just this this particular issue spent a little too much time away from what is so good about yes. this book. And and that sucks to say that three issues in. Yes. Again, I would imagine that this was all editorially mandated. Yep. But I don't know that for a fact. So Yeah. Oh well. Well that does it for this week, Vince. What do we have coming up for next week? Um I I don't have it up, but it's not gonna take me long. Okay. Uh we have well we have the DC Pride book. I yes. believe. No, I, I believe that's in two weeks, maybe. Is it? Oh, I've got June first here, but that, that no could June be. June eighth. June eighth. Oh, that. okay, okay. Uh, all right. Sorry. Um, okay, we've got uh, Batman, Catwoman. We're not covering that, right? Nope. Um, we've, we're probably not covering Batman: The Adventures Continue, season two, number one. Although, although that's it's a fun that's a fun concept. Sure. Um, we are covering Crime Syndicate. Crush and Lobo, uh, Green Lantern, number three, Justice League, 62, Suicide Squad, number four, Swamp Thing, number four, and did we decide on the nice house on the lake? I think we said if if we felt up to it. All right. I'm, I'm leaving it for last, and if I get Same. to it, Same. if I get to it, I get to it. Um, we're not reading The Conjuring. <laughs> no. I... I, don't, I don't know the first thing about The Conjuring except that uh, – Star of stage and screen, Patrick Wilson is in it. Um, you mean uh, Night Owl himself? I do. Uh, yes, I, Dan Driver himself. And then sorry, Night Owl too. I should have been more specific there. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank you, folks, for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, we're probably getting relatively close to Zach's return. I know. I know. I know. You guys miss him. No one misses him more than we do. Looking forward to that. I think we're going to have Walt on one more time. We have a special project with Walt in the works as well. That uh, <laughs> should be a lot of fun that no one will <laughs> give a shit about but the three of us. But... It might be It might be even uh, more detested than our Vampire Weekend episode. <laughs> <laughs> it, will, it will go down in infamy. Um, it shouldn't, though. No, it shouldn't. It's going to be delight. It is going to be a delight. Uh, possibly the first of a ten-part series. We'll see how that, how that <laughs> shakes out in the future. Uh, 
But until then, tweet at Zach at WilkerFox. Tell him you miss him. I'm on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. If you need to get in touch with Vince, um, Vince is preparing for our our project here by well, what can I say that's a good tease for this without giving it away? Um, by ha- ha- have you watched the thing in question yet? No, not yet. Okay, no, okay. no I put that on the back burner. Okay. Um, um so I, I I guess by by shall we say uh, sharpening his detective skills? <laughs> that's, not, that's not funny enough. That's uh. By, <laughs> I'm not gonna say that. Never mind. I'll tell. I'll tell you off. I'll tell you off. Okay. Okay. Off, I, off I, 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 I had two that I that I decided are not are not fit for public consumption. Um, <laughs> but um, let's see. Uh, all right. Here's he's been practicing by driving his car through hilarious situations that a car just shouldn't be in. Is that good? <laughs> Why not? That's very really stupid, but yes. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening to us. Bye. <laughs>